Well, Father, we thank you tonight as we come together in agreement, Lord, over the word of the Lord. And we love your word and we thank you for your word, but your word is so important. And Heavenly Father, we all come into agreement together and we ask that your blessing be on the word tonight. We ask you, Lord, that you would anoint me and Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, your word. And this would be rhema, it would be manna, it would be the word of the Lord. And Father, I pray that everyone that's going to be hearing this live, but also those who are going to hear recordings, we pray over them. Lord, that the winds of your spirit is going to carry this among the nations everywhere it needs to go, and every person's going to hear it. But Lord, we ask you that where people are, that your precious Holy Spirit right now would invade and begin to captivate every one of us, to help us to be good fertile soil for the word of God and for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to have anointed eyes to see and ears to hear. Because the Bible says that we, some don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, I pray anoint our eyes and ears and help us to have that spiritual perception and good fertile soil of hearts and minds that your word can go out. And we ask that it would. You speak through me the word. It'll be as living seeds of truth that will go out and land in good soil that your Holy Spirit just help captivate every one of us, lock us into where we can get focused and, and not be distracted but really get everything out of this that we need to, to understand it. And Lord, that that seed of your word get in us and your, your Holy Spirit water it. And that word of God in us is going to take root in us and begin to grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. We don't want to be 30-fold. We don't want to be 60-fold. No, we want to bear a hundredfold harvest. And Lord, I pray help us tonight and that your word go out in power. And Lord, there'll be a washing of the water of the word. There will be light shining that will dispel all the darkness and lies and deception and bring truth, bring revelation. Lord, that your word will be a hammer that breaks through strongholds, the sword that cuts away and penetrates and gets to where it needs to go. Lord, let everything be accomplished in and through your word tonight. And not just this one sermon, but Lord, over this series, over the sermons we have on, on the internet out there for people, podcasts, is there's hungry people all over the world. And Lord, I pray that your word really go out and make an impact. And Lord, lives will be changed. And Lord, let it bring you glory. And we stand on the promise that your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So Lord, we thank you for now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I've been doing a series on what brought revival. How many of you guys felt the presence of God come in this place during worship? My goodness. Well, that's what we're talking about is the awesome presence and power of the Almighty coming in. And that's what we need. We need church to be alive. And um, it's sad, you know, we joke around things about the frozen chosen and, and all these things. But there's a lot of places that, that are not alive spiritually. And we need, we need the life. We, you know, just like tonight, just free praise and worship, the power of God present and that lives can be changed. How many testimonies have been just in the presence of God? People, you know, getting right with God and repenting, being healed of things and delivered of things. All right. Well, I've been doing this series, What Brought Revival? What Brought This to River of Life? What Has Sustained It? And, you know, it, we've been having an increase. Throughout 2017, there was a significant increase. And on into 2018, we've recently had another increase of God's presence. And my belief is this, that we're never supposed to be, you know, at a place that's stagnant. You know, whether it be an individual Christian or whether it be a church, we should always be going from glory to glory. And, and it should be like a river, not a pond. A pond is, is stagnant and it's, and it's not moving and it's dead. But we should be like a river. There should always be a movement. So we should be growing. We should be learning things the Lord's teaching us and, and going to new places in the Lord and all that. So, you know, it, this is what I've been praying about, that God will continue to increase, and he has. And there's some major breakthroughs coming this year, I believe that, for River of Life in many ways. All right. Well, tonight I want to talk about the gates, purging the gates. We need an open heaven. And in many ways, there is definitely an open heaven over River of Life. But we need an open heaven over our region, and we need an open heaven over this nation. Not just over individual churches. We really need the heavens to open over this region. And, uh, you know, so that many more people can be impacted. 
So I'm going to share some things tonight about the Hebrew roots because I believe it has a lot to do with this. But when you study out the scripture, you see that the gates are very important because in the Bible, the gates were where in a city, the way things operated under Levitical law in Israel was that there would be cities that at the gates of the city, the older men that knew the word of God, they knew the Torah, okay? And they, they now had gotten older in years and their, their sons and, and their families could maintain the family business or whatever. So they, they were now sitting at the gates and they, they would be elders and judges. And so there would be a group of them at the gates and when people had some kind of an issue where there was a dispute or whatever, they would go to the gates and they would talk to those elders if there was ever, and it was rare, but if there was ever a situation that the, the, the judges at the gates could not figure out, maybe it was over their head or something bigger than them or whatever, then they would refer them where they could go to Jerusalem and they could meet with the sons of Aaron and that, that group there, which made up what would be today called the Knesset, you know, which is totally different than it was back then, okay? It was priestly back then. But you remember in Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin, this is what we're talking about, the Sanhedrin. This, that would have been like the Supreme Court in Jerusalem. But this is the way that things were set up, okay? And so it was based on this judicial system and in a very similar way, you, you notice that they set at the gates. So whatever came in and out of the city was going through these gates. And they were watching over that. Well, in the same way in the spiritual realm, when you, go, when you look upward, you remember the scriptures like in Deuteronomy. It says, if we'll obey the Lord and, and do right, Deuteronomy 28, it talks about the Lord said, that I will cause the heavens to be open above you. And he said, I will send rain on your land in season and I'll bless the works of your hands. But it had to do with an open heaven. But it said that if people were disobedient to the word, it said that the, the skies above you would be like brass and the earth beneath you would be like iron. There would be an absence of rain and the works of their hands would not be blessed, basically. And so, as people obeyed the word, it opened the heavens. Now, where I'm going with all this is, is this. We know that in the heavenly realms, we know that the apostle Paul, when he wrote to the book, you know, the book of Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus, that church was birthed in the fires of revival. It was a very powerful church. And when he wrote to them, he, he gave them different revelation about Christ and he talked about the importance of your home being in order and your family being in order because he knew that they were facing spiritual warfare because he faced it when he was there for two years, having one of the greatest revivals, probably the greatest revival that we know that Paul had in Scripture is recorded in Acts 19 and took place in Ephesus. And that was the place where this church was birthed and he knew that they were facing spiritual warfare because he faced it. And so in his, his writings to them, he told them about spiritual warfare. He told them about the armor of God. And he talked to them about the hierarchy of satanic forces because he knew that they were going to be facing these things. And so he said that there's wickedness in the heavenly realms. There's principalities and there's powers. Without getting deep in this, because I don't want to dwell on it, but principalities comes from the Greek word arche, where we get an architect, like somebody that would lay out blueprints. They're, they are fallen angels that sit on thrones over territory. And it's like, if you would, if you could imagine this with me tonight, like a metaphor here, but literally in the spirit realm, it's like the gates of the city overhead. And Satan wants it to be locked up. He wants it to be like brass. He wants that there be a ruling spirit there and it's oppressed but as God's people will really pray God can begin to bind up that stuff and he can begin to open up the heavens where it's not going to be brass and it's not going to be oppressed it's not going to be difficult but there'll be an open heaven and the presence of God will begin to come in and God wants those heavens open and that principality is there and he, there's a rulership in that, and he sits enthroned there. 
And he's constantly trying to strategize against God's people. He is studying those. He studies the churches and he knows which church has potential for revival and which church does not. He knows he studies the pastors. He studies the people in the church. And he studies the evangelistic efforts that are going on in that city. And he knows. He knows what's going on. And he wants to stop it. And so that principality has under his authority powers. These are forces of the enemy that will go up and take assignments. They'll, they'll get their, their strategies from that principality. And then they'll come down and they will begin to move against God's people on different assignments. Those are the powers okay, that come down and try to influence. But God wants us to be aware of these things and to see an open heaven. But the only way that the heavens are going to be open is, number one, we've got to make sure things are right with God. Because if there's unrepentant sin and there's things that are going on that aren't supposed to be, it will brass those heavens open. Uh, brass them over, rather. And I'm going to tell you that that's where churches cannot tolerate certain things. They can't tolerate abortion. They can't tolerate uh, witchcraft and the occult. They can't tolerate sexual immorality. Things like that being going on in their midst and it not being dealt with. And they can't tolerate a Jezebel spirit. That is serious business. And when you tolerate these things, it will brass those heavens over big time. So number one, you've got to deal with stuff that needs to be dealt with. And I understand about people coming in and getting saved. We've had many people, because I know people's business, because I'm the pastor and they come and talk to me, but we've had many people that come in that... that they're baby Christians and they have struggles. That's totally understandable. And we welcome them. Come in here and worship with us and God will help you through those struggles. He loves you. And we know that there's people that come in that, that they're in bondage and they're struggling because they're, they need deliverance. They need inner healing. They need prayer. And we welcome that. But I'm, what I'm talking about is people that have unrepentant issues in their life. And you try to talk to them and they don't want to hear it. They're going to buck up against you, and they're, they're going to go against you, and they want to continue in that lifestyle, whatever that is. You can't tolerate that. It will brass the heavens completely over, and that church will begin to come under the authority of that principality that will begin to sit over it and oppress that place. And I've been in places that were oppressed of the enemy. And it's like tonight, praise God that, you know, everybody... In River of Life, for the most part, as far as I know, people really genuinely love the Lord and have prayed about things in our lives that need to be dealt with. And as we come together and really worship, there was, there's such a freedom. And what this freedom that you feel is in open heaven. And it's like it's easy to praise and worship. It's easy to pray. It's easy to get revelation from the Word of God. It's easy to grow spiritually. There is a peace here there's not strife and division there's peace so another thing about getting an open heaven is not just dealing with sin but the second thing i would say is persistent prayer now i've already dealt with that in a previous sermon so i'm not going to go back over that but that is going to be what pierces through is prayer and fasting and i mean persistent heartfelt prayer not mamby-pamby stuff. I'm talking about serious prayer. People that are serious. If they will really pray and they will really fast and they'll go after God and they're serious and they'll unify, it will purge the heavens and open it up. And then the last thing I would say, and this has to do with where I wanted to go with this tonight, is the Hebrew roots. And this has been a big deal. So on everybody, please give me your best ear tonight about this because I know many of you probably know a lot of this already. But God began to deal with my heart years ago, back in the 90s, about the Hebrew roots. And Dick Rubin was really used, and he was, he was powerfully used at Brownsville to help bring this to that church. And, and everybody felt in leadership that what Dick Rubin brought to Brownsville laid a foundation for that revival. In fact, John Kilpatrick wrote that in his book, Feast of Fire. He said that specifically. And so things like Dick Rubin taught about the tabernacle. He taught about the priesthood. He taught about the communion table. And John Kilpatrick talked about blessings, speaking blessings. All of that comes from the Hebrew roots. And there are many other, um, many other things. I remember Dick Rubin, I've got videos of all this, but 
He held a Passover Seder with Brownsville, and they loved it. They loved the Hebrew roots. And, and I remember hearing Dick Rubin talk about it. He said that of all the places he traveled and ministered, he said Brownsville was probably the place that loved the Hebrew roots more than any other place. And he loved to come there because they were so welcoming to him. And they so ate up what he was teaching, you know. So this, that laid a lot of foundation. So that's been in my life since the 90s. And gradually I've learned more about this over the years. But let me say that I've taught enough on that. I've taught about the tabernacle and the priesthood in a series I did. And I talked about the communion table in a communion Hebrew root series I did. So this is going to be kind of a, a cursory look in this series. But I want to deal with some things that I believe have helped purge the gates over our ministry. Open the heavens, okay? All right, so number one, there's been three, well, there's been several, but three sacraments that were given to the church that have to do with cleansing, okay? Um, one of them is obviously the communion table, which I've taught a lot on. I think you guys have a pretty good grasp on it. And again, I did a whole series on it. It's on our website if you want to go deeper. But the communion table is awesome, awesome, powerful. And as we come together, all of us come together and unify at that table. And we make sure we forgive people. We make sure we confess any of our sin. We deal with things. And we unify together, reverencing the body and the blood of the Lord like that. Man, let me tell you, that is a powerful thing. You got to understand those elements represent Christ's body and blood. And that's going into our body and blood. I mean, that's, that's something very significant. And so all of us are doing that. We're coming under the blood of Jesus. We're reverencing the table of the Lord. And there is a deep consecration that is happening in all of us as we take communion. The blood of Jesus is being applied to our lives. And everybody in here can attest to the fact that those that have been faithful at the communion table with us can tell you that they can look back years ago and that they're in a lot better spiritual place right now than they were. And some of that has to do with the communion table. Secondly is the anointing with oil. The anointing with oil is extremely powerful. It's Old Testament and New Testament. That God gave the anointing with oil that had to do with anointing the priesthood, had to do with anointing kings. And in the New Testament time, Jesus sent out his disciples and it says, I believe in the book of Mark, you can look it up. But it says that they went out and anointed with oil and people were healed and people were delivered from demons as they anointed with oil. So the anointing with oil is something in, in the book of James chapter 5. It says if there's any sick among you, let him call upon the elders and they'll come forward and they'll anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. So the anointing with oil is very powerful. And one of my favorite scriptures about the anointing um, is Exodus, I believe it's Exodus 40. And it had to do with this. Moses had to set up the tabernacle. And after he was done setting it up, which, man, that had to be a task in and of itself. But after he caught his breath real good, after doing all that, he had to go in and anoint this whole thing. And God had given them a certain type of anointing oil to use. And so he got that. And the Bible says he goes, he started in the Holy of Holies. And he took that oil and he began to anoint the mercy seat, you know, Ark of the Covenant. He went out, he anointed everything in the holy place. He went out, he anointed everything in the outer court. And after Moses anointed everything in the tabernacle, the Bible says that the glory of God came down and settled in that tabernacle. You know what the interesting thing is? That the Bible says that you and I are now the temple of the Holy Spirit that are true Christians and so in other words the tabernacle and the temple are synonymous so in other words you are a living breathing tabernacle of the Holy Spirit and so it is an awesome powerful thing whenever a pastor will take time to anoint you as being God's tabernacle his temple that the glory of God begin to saturate your life but there's a deep consecration that takes place so the communion table, the anointing with oil, that anointing, I, I know that anointing buildings, anointing your home, going in anointing rooms, anointing this place, it's very powerful. And the, it, as you anoint and set it apart, the glory of God will come. 
All right, and then the third one is obviously water immersion. Sadly, a lot of traditions of men have really come against this, but it's a very powerful thing. But water immersion in the Bible um, is extremely powerful, Old and New Testament. Uh, I did a, a, I may do a sermon on it over the next couple of weeks before we have our deep consecration service just to stir, stir up people's faith. But water immersion is extremely powerful. And it is never something in the scripture that is limited to some one-time experience. It's just not. It's not at all. It's not even implied in scripture. And so it's something that I've always encouraged people when they've maybe gotten away from God and gotten into sin or something that they, they come back to God that they need to, they need to get water baptized. But it's a powerful thing. Now, water immersion, the reason why I use immersion there is because it talks about the Greek word baptismo which means a full immersion it's not a sprinkling with water it is an immersion and we know symbolically it has to do with like a death and then a resurrection we know that but water immersion is so extremely powerful i just have time to just touch on this i've taught in depth on it but you know the priesthood whenever somebody was going to become a priest whether it was a high priest or a priest when they were going to go into any type of priestly ministry, one of the things that had to happen to them was they had to be, um, there had to be bloodshed for their sin. They also had to be anointed with oil, but they also had to be water immersed. Okay? And that set them apart. It, there's a deep cleansing. There's a deep consecration that happens. Also, you see that in Scripture, it's very interesting to study this, because if you really do a study on water immersion, you start seeing things maybe you didn't before. But you remember that there's, there's something about healing. I remember reading about Naaman the leper who came and Elisha told him. Elisha didn't even get out of his tent. Elisha just told Gehazi to tell him, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Well, he's somebody that, you know, had money and prestige. So that ticked him off. He thought, first off, the guy doesn't even come out and talk to me. Secondly, he's telling me to go dip in a dirty river. I got clean water back home. But um, he did. He got mad, and it's in the Bible. But his name and servant told him, said, you know, if he had asked you to do something really difficult, you would have done that. He's asking you to do something really simple. So why don't you give it a chance? And so Naaman humbled himself and went to the Jordan and dipped, and he was a leper. But after the seventh time, he was totally healed. Um, I remember the pool in, in the New Testament, but the pool at Bethesda, was that right? Or is it Bethsaida? I think it was Bethesda. All right, that there was a pool there. And the sick gathered, and the angel would come down and, and tickle the waters or whatever, stir the waters. And the, the first person in would be totally healed. So there is something I've seen because we have water immersion here periodically, and the, the power of God, the glory of God is in that water. Let me tell you, you can pray about that. And I mean, I mean to tell you that God's presence can get in that water because I've experienced it. Anyway, as we've immersed people, we have seen people, not one or two. We have seen several people that have been deeply consecrated of things, people that have been healed, and people that have been delivered of things. And it's been very powerful. So the last scripture I would use is 1 Corinthians 10. It says that these things that happen to Israel um, serve as a, as a, you know, for us as a witness or whatever. It's for our learning. It's for our education, our admonishment. And he said that Israel would, were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. So they were baptized in the cloud and the sea. But I want you to think about it. The same water that baptized that nation into Moses as they went through the Red Sea, it was a picture and type of baptism, that same water that baptized them is the same water that closed behind them and it destroyed their enemies that were chasing them. That's a powerful revelation right there. Because many people, even though they've accepted Christ as their Savior, they still seem to struggle with some kind of an oppression, some kind of a torment, things that they've been through. And man, the power of baptism, I have seen it where it helps to separate people. It like destroys their enemies that have been tormenting and oppressing and chasing them, trying to hold them back. It destroys them. And then that water of the Red Sea, 
it formed a, a large chasm that separated them from Pharaoh and separated them from Egypt. So in other words, it helped to separate them from their past and separate them from what wanted to chase them into their future. And so I've seen this with my own eyes. And so every year, I'm getting to this about the deep consecration. So let me not get ahead of myself. All right. So number three on, this, on the notes, if you're following on the notes, is deeply consecrating your home. I've done a big thing about that. We actually have something on the website you can download about praying over your home. And I talked about the morning and the evening sacrifice. And I've taught about the importance of applying the blood in your home. And applying the blood, taking communion in your home, etc. Anointing your home, anointing rooms and speaking blessings. Having maybe anointed services and things playing in your home. All this is powerful. And the glory of the Lord can be in your home in an awesome way. I'm saying this for your benefit. I'm saying it to help you. But my wife will verify that we feel the presence of God in our home. It's not just here. As a matter of fact, what I feel here, I feel at home. And I felt it first at home before I felt it here. Because God is not going to play around. He wants our homes to be right. Amen? All right. So, anyway, deeply consecrating your home. So, now let me move forward pretty quickly. Just follow me. But there's, there's three times a year biblically. Now, I'm talking about God's biblical calendar. We live in a Gregorian calendar, which there's nothing wrong with the calendar. It's accurate and it works. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's just simply not God's calendar. God's calendar is the Hebrew calendar. And the nation of Israel is God's timepiece. It's his prophetic timepiece. And um, you, you notice that prophecy and things are being fulfilled in regards to end time prophecy and prophecies about the Messiah, etc. was really being fulfilled until... Um, A.D. 70, where Israel was scattered. And then it seems like end-time prophecy was just put on hold or something. But as soon as Israel became a nation again in 48, it seems like end-time prophecy started picking right back up again and moving forward. So it's God's prophetic timepiece, and it's God's calendar. You have to understand. So we need to be aware and to a degree connect with God's calendar so that we know what's going on. And we also, I believe there's something very powerful about this. I can't get too deep with it. But in the series I did, I mentioned already, I've already mentioned communion, Hebrew roots, but I deal with this too in that series. So we've talked about it in River of Life. Everybody's pretty well versed on it. But three times a year, we, people were to appear before the Lord in Jerusalem at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And before those times... There was a time of consecration. Okay, it's called today, it's called slichot, which means pardon us. Okay, slichot prayers have to do with, uh, you know, in the fall feast mainly, but it's, it's, it's both times. There's a time of cleansing. So before Passover, I'll give you an example. Before Passover, there's what's called the bedikat chametz, which is the purging out the yeast, getting the yeast out of your home, getting the yeast out of your midst. And we know that yeast is a picture and type of sin. And so it's a time to cleanse. It's a time to clean house, get things dealt with. So before the fall feast, that's what's going on. I'm sorry, the spring feast. There's the cleansing of the yeast before Passover. All right. Then before the fall feast, at the beginning of Elul, all the way through Yom Kippur, there's a time there, 40 days. And during that time, people are really praying they're really seeking God. I can't get deep into this, okay? But it has to do with the king being in the field. Y'all are familiar with this. And um, also, uh, you know, it has to do, ultimately, as it goes on, it gets into the 10 days of awe, etc. But it's a time of really consecrating your life and getting things right with God. And there's a corporate, even to this day in Israel, there's a gathering of people that will come together and they're praying and they're asking God's forgiveness for their sin. The sad thing is that if they don't come through the blood of Jesus Christ, they're not going to get it. Okay, that's the sad thing. But still, they're coming together and they're praying and asking God's forgiveness. 
and it's called Sleek Hope Prayers. They're, it's a corporate thing. And I remember Leonard Ravenhill said this, and it's so true, and I believe it's really a good example here. Leonard Ravenhill said, and I saw him say this, okay? I watched the video myself, and he was saying that there's a particular denomination he was talking about, and he said that they were born in the fires of revival, and God's presence was among them. But he said that today, when he was speaking, he said to this day, he said in most churches in this denomination, there is absolutely no glory of God whatsoever. And he said that the leadership of that denomination needs to send out letters to all their pastors and tell them in this particular month or whatever, church services are over. We're not doing church services. We're going to call a sacred assembly. We're calling people to fast. We're calling churches to get on their face and repent before God and ask forgiveness for their sins and ask that God would send his glory back to the church. Amen. Now tell me that's not powerful. This is what I'm talking about. You know, in a lot of places, and you know it to be true, and I know that you may snicker, but it's not funny. You can call a barbecue and everybody will come and bring everybody they know. You call a prayer meeting and nobody comes. And they wonder, why are the heavens brass? Why is there no glory? Because of that right there. <clears throat> so what God began to lay on my heart was that before the spring feast and before the fall, that we would begin to have a time where we could deeply consecrate our lives and people get serious about it. And we would have a time of prayer and fasting as a church. And I would just tell people, just pray about what God wants you to do. You fast maybe a meal a day. You may fast morning to evening. You, you may give up sweets or whatever God lays on your heart. But for this period of time, whether it be 14, 21, 40 days, we've had different ones as the Holy Spirit's led. But, and everybody, for the most part, participate. And it was a time that we would really pray and we would really deal with anything in our lives that needs to be dealt with. We make sure we forgive people. We make sure our sins are confessed and repented. We'd ask God to set us free from things that need to be set free from. We'd ask God to do a deep cleansing. And I always made a sheet so that we could all unify in our prayers about specific things. And so we did this before the spring and the fall feast. We've done this now for years, and we would really pray. And at the end of that time we would have a, what I called a deep consecration service where we would come together and corporately now, we were done with the prayer fast, corporately we would really spend some time at the communion table. So this wasn't a typical service this night. This is a deep consecration time. And we would really take some time at the communion table. And we would really pray and we'd bring our lives and our families under the blood and ask God to deeply consecrate us. My wife and I would go through with anointing oil and we would pray over every person. And this wasn't like just any other altar time because all of them are, are, you know, God moves, okay? But this is special. This is we're praying that God really consecrate and set people apart and empower them to overcome things. And we've seen God really touch people. And then at the end, I'd usually preach something, you know, but then at the end we would tell, you know, everybody that wants to just deeply consecrate your life unto God, you can come to a baptism. This is where we are. Come out. And everybody, for the most part, would come. And the, the power, I'm talking about the glory of God, would get in that water. And we began to immerse people. And God was really consecrating people and delivering people and healing people. And I believe this goes back to the Hebrew roots, but here's what happened. I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do this, and people went with it. And because we did, we unified about this. God began to really cleanse people's lives and set people free and change people's lives. And we noticed that every time we were doing this, here's what's happening in River of Life. We noticed that the heavens were beginning to get more and more clear and open over our ministry. It was literally purging the gates overhead. And we noticed that the glory of God began to come in a greater measure. And God began to take us deeper. And people were experiencing personal revivals. And God began to move real powerfully. You know, and at, at Passover, Easter time, during that time, you know, we, we didn't want to have things about the, the bunnies and the eggs and have nothing to do with God whatsoever anyway. We, we, we'd spread out a, a table here and we would go through an illustrated sermon 
about the Lord's Last Supper and what actually was happening. It was a Passover meal, and we would talk about the blood of Jesus. And we were focused on the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and his blood. And we began to come up under the blood. And then at Pentecost, we began to have times where we would kind of have a special, have some special speakers do a special conference about the power and believe in God for a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire. And man, God showed up and he has been showing up and he will continue in these coming years to show up anyway. And then at Tabernacles, we would go into all that and we, we talked about the coming of the Lord. And we talked about, you know, at Sukkot, we talked about the tabernacling of God's glory. But we did the same thing before the fall feast. It's just a time of cleansing. I think people get the idea. So here's the pattern. There's a tabernacle pattern that Dick Rubin and many others have talked about. And I've studied the tabernacle and the priesthood for a long time. And probably the first thing that my wife will tell you that we did a deep study together when we got married was me talking about the tabernacle. Remember that? And we would go through that together. But that was something that's always been really on my heart because the tabernacle, it housed the glory of God. And I had a heart, and I still do, to be in God's presence. So this was, there was something about this to me that was very significant. Okay, so the tabernacle, when you study it, there's an outer court, then a holy place, then a holy of holies. So there's three and it's going deeper it's like you're in the outer court but then as you leave that outer court where there's natural sunlight and the smell of death okay you move into the holy place where there's the smell of incense and it's lit by the menorah which is a type of the holy spirit bringing revelation so you're going deeper now and then once you get past the holy place and you get past that veil which in hebrew is called the parochet you get past that veil what were you in now the glory of the Lord the ark of God was there which represents his throne so now you're in his manifest presence but there's that outer court holy place holy of holies it's it's a moving from one to the next okay so let me give you just two more things a lot of people and I'm, I'm saying all this in conjunction with purging the gates the presence of God all right, a lot of people live in negative cycles. And I can tell you for sure that I've seen how, in my wife's testimony, we can tell you from experience, we know what we're talking about with this, what I'm about to mention. But there's families that have things in their family bloodline, maybe Freemasonry, maybe it's the worship of other gods or something but or maybe it's the occult but they've connected to other satanic feasts and that they're it's like they're connected to that timing and i know people that have come out of the occult world that were participants in these things that they may not even keep up with it but whenever it's time for those satanic feasts every year there's eight major ones and then there's other ones and there's full moons etc but anyway they'll tell you that around those feast times that they've been attacked they have felt tormented they have felt something going on and my wife will tell you that that's the way early years ago she would be attacked at those times because of her testimony and what she's been through but anyway there's people that that they've been kind of connected to some kind of a timing that's satanic <clears throat> but god doesn't want us to be connected to satanic timings he wants us connected to his timings and now, after years, my wife is doing great. I mean, she doesn't even know about these times because there's such a freedom. But you've got to break free from the old and come into the new. So here's, here's what I'm talking about with cycles. Negative cycles. Yearly, some people have connected themselves with cycles and with things maybe in their bloodline that there's a timing and there's cycles there that they need to break free from. individual people it seems like some people they they may move to a new location they may have leave the old relationships behind and get new people in their life they'll move to a totally different city totally different things but it's not too long until something emerges that they've dealt with 
time after time after time wherever they go it seems like it will emerge in their life again that's a negative cycle that needs to be broken couple things there one is is that people have got to get to a place as I said last week where they're desperate enough that they're going to humble themselves in prayer and fasting and get on their face before the Almighty and say God forgive me change me take this out of me because a lot of times the problem lies within it's an inner pride within themselves maybe an inner fear within themselves it may be a rebellious tendency a rebellious streak that's in them hello it may be a bitter root that's resident in them and it can be a besetting sin maybe lust maybe greed maybe idolatry but something that seems like it's really held them back and until they get desperate enough to really quit blaming everybody else for their problems and quit blaming God and get on their face and repent and say father forgive me for this stuff that's in me take it out of me okay that's number one but also there may be generational curses that need to be dealt with these are negative cycles a person they may move they may go from job to job city to city but it seems like something is following them and it will bring destruction and you can see it in the other members of their family and it just seems like there's something there that is following them it's a negative cycle in their life that's got to be broken but Jesus paid for that thing to be broken and if people will really deal with it they can break that off their life and get free okay it can affect <clears throat> these generational curses will try to affect people's health their finances and their relationships until it's dealt with all right also cycles negative cycles that churches face amen we have had to fight the good fight of faith amen my wife's back there a big amen but let me tell you that churches face what I'm talking about in the heavenlies. Their strategies, those principalities and powers, the gates above, their strategies. And in cities, there's, there's spiritual satanic strongholds. And the enemy wants to keep those churches in negative cycles. Every time they try to go forward, somebody will rise up, some little Jezebel in the church, hello, will rise up and begin to bring problems. And until the church, the pastor especially, is willing to put his foot on and say, we're just not going to have it and deal with that stuff, there's going to be cycle after cycle. I'll tell you a story that John Hagee told him. He said that he was growing up in church and his dad was a pastor. And he took a church and he had been there for a time and he noticed that the church just seemed like there was something that was blocking them from ever going forward it just seemed like something was blocking and his father began to really pray and fast and seek God what is the problem was right? now understand he hasn't been here that long he was a new pastor but he was praying and he was seeking God about him and God spoke to him and said every time this church has started to move forward and begin to see revival and begin to you know expand and grow and move forward he said there's two women in the church and this is who they are and he told the pastor that they're used of the devil to start bucking up against the pastor and start sowing division and it kills what God's wanting to do and brings it right back down every time so that pastor heard from God he said now I know the problem and John Hagee said he was sitting there when his dad got up in the pulpit the next Sunday and he preached his sermon and did all that and he got to the end of his sermon and he and he said look I want to share something God told me now understand there's all these people there and he said God told me that this is what has happened now you know as well as I do that these people have been here a while and know exactly what he's talking about because they've seen it and he got up there and said every time that this church has started to move forward and every time it started to do good there was two women in this church that would you know be used of the devil to stir up problems and he said I know who you are and he pointed at the clock and he said it's about to hit noon and when it does I'm gonna call you out he said, I'm giving you a chance to repent and you talk about an awkward silence 
But John Hagee said he was sitting there watching his dad, and he saw this old woman jump up and said, I'm one of them, and she's the other. And, uh, and um, yeah, amen. You got to deal with that stuff. God help us. But anyway, they, they repented, and the church moved forward. That's a funny story, but, you know, it was serious because when you think about the people that could have been saved, you think about all the lives that could have been changed, but every time that God wanted to move, there were these people that would stir up being used of the devil and trying to cause problems for the preacher, trying to cause problems in the church. The church is better off. If people are not going to repent, be the church is better off without those people. Amen. All right. So churches that go through negative cycles, but churches have got to be willing to deal with the things that need to be dealt with to keep the heavens open. And I know that you feel the same way I do, but God's presence, there being an open heaven and God's presence here is a lot more important to me than, in, than everybody liking me. All right. But churches can have negative cycles they need to break free from. So this is what I want to close with. <clears throat> this is just something God laid on my heart. I think I've mentioned this book in my series. If I, if I have, I apologize if I'm being redundant. But there's a book called A Messianic Church Arising by Robert Heidler that's very good. And it talks about these things I'm talking about. And I think it would be a blessing to you if you get it. All right. Number seven is cycles of blessing. See, I talked about negative cycles. Here's Satan's cycles. Satan's cycles will go in a circle and it's going down, down, down. Destruction, defeat, failure, oppression. But God has cycles and God's wanting his cycles to be like an elevator that we're going from glory to glory, victory to victory, breakthrough to breakthrough, going upward going into greater places of freedom, increasing revival. He's wanting us to go to new places. And so if you look at the, the feast of the Lord, and by the way, the Bible calls them God's feast. It says these are my feast. It doesn't say they're Israel's feast. And it says they're to be observed from all times. I don't have time to get in this because I've already taught this in River of Life. But the book of Zechariah shows they're going to be celebrated in the Messiah's thousand-year reign when Jesus comes. All right. But these are the feasts of the Lord. Now, there were three major feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now, I'm going to show you something. At Passover, what are you dealing with? It's the outer court. It's a time where you're really cleansing out the leaven out of your life you're repenting deeply you're getting things right it has to do with the communion table too those that have been here for the passover that we do there's a major emphasis on the communion table and it's a very powerful thing because we're here reverencing christ his blood his sacrifice but that's the outer court that's the communion table i'm showing you a yearly cycle i'm showing you that every year we should be going from glory to glory. 2017 was a lot better in 2016, but 2018 is about to be a lot better in 2017. The reason why is because we're on an upward cycle. So you start at Passover, and it's the outer court, then what you go to Pentecost. Pentecost has to do with the power of God. It's the holy place. You notice that at Pentecost, Shavuot, that is the time what when God gave his word at Sinai and when the Holy Spirit was poured out on, Pente on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. So this is the word and the spirit of God that has been given. And this is a time like the holy place where that menorah is lit. There's fresh oil. There's fresh fire. There's a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire. It's a time of revival. Y'all see what I'm saying? An empowerment. Revelation. And so now you've gone from the outer court. Now you go to the holy place. And so you get now moving toward the fall feast. And you have 
Yom Teruah, which is called Rosh Hashanah now, but the Bible calls it Yom Teruah, the, the trumpets. It's a time that speaks of the coming rapture of Christ's remnant bride. And it's a time of the tabernacles, where God's glory comes in tabernacles among us. That's the holy of holies, the glory. Is this making sense tonight? So every year, we should be collectively going from the outer court to the holy place, to the holy of holies every year. And we should be individually and corporately going to a greater place of personal revival than we were the previous year. We should be on a cycle that's going upward from glory to glory. The heavens should be more open than they ever were. There should be a greater glory in our midst than there's ever been. And there should be a greater power of God at work. But this is a pattern that God's given us to purge the gates and deal with stuff within us so that we can go deeper in Christ than we've ever been. How many places have gotten to a place of just resting in where they're at? And it's like they're spiritually dead. They're spiritually dry. There's no new revelation being spoken. There's no real gifts of the Spirit at work. There's, there's nothing fresh. God's not moving really. It's just dry. And I believe there's people out there by the thousands that are hungry for more. And literally, spiritually speaking, they're dragging themselves across the sands of a dead, dry, spiritual place. They're in a desert. And God is wanting that his church will be a place there's an open heaven and his presence is there. And it's like an oasis that people can come into. And he's given us a pattern where we can go from glory to glory and we can go deeper in him. So I say all that to say, I believe in God sincerely in 2018. This is going to be a time where there's a significant increase in River of Life in every possible way. We're going to see greater power, greater glory. And I believe that if, again, just as many of you have already been doing, but if you'll take these times serious, we're going to be having another uh, corporate fast soon. And when we go through that, if you'll really take it serious, fasting has to do with humbling yourself. Fasting has to do, yes, it's giving up food of some kind. You can also add to that other things, but it's food. But as you, as you humble yourself and give up some food and you get on your face before God and say, God, search me, know me, try me, get the stuff out of me, do a work in me, Jesus. If you'll be like that, man, God will go to great lengths to do great things in your life. I'm going to tell you something. God responds to humility like that. He will come in your life in an awesome way. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and shut down recordings tonight. But the tabernacle, also, the tabernacles also has to do with water immersion. So you see that pattern there. You see um, the outer court, the holy place, the holy of holies. You see Passover, the communion table. You see the holy place. You see Pentecost. You see the oil. And you see tabernacles the glory in water immersion. You see that same pattern through the scriptures. It's amazing. Right, we're going to pray for people here in just a moment. I'm mean, hungry for the Lord tonight. 